Well, friends, hey, it's good to be with you today. We recognize folks are tuning in at different times throughout the week. So, hey, wherever you're joining us, maybe you're at home in your PJ sitting on the couch Sunday morning. Maybe you're miss- listening midweek at work. Maybe you're listening while you drive. Hey, if you're driving, make sure you're only listening, no watching. I don't want to be responsible for any tickets or hear about that in the weeks ahead. But thanks, hey, thanks for taking the time to connect with us. We've been in a sermon series since the beginning of January called uh, His Plan in Our Moment, Jesus, uh, the Binding Thread. And really our aim and our hope has been to showcase how the scriptures themselves in God's story in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament, how they connect and how they point to Jesus. And, And really how Jesus has been both the answer in previous moments and in the current moment that we find ourselves in right now. So this week, um, we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter 12 and Isaiah 42. So if you have a Bible or an electronic device with the Bible app on it, why don't you open with me uh, to Matthew chapter 12. Hey, I don't know how many of you are Star Wars fans. Maybe by saying that, I'm instantly putting myself into a category or labeling myself. But I'm sure for many of you, hey, if you were been looking to tune into like a new show throughout the pandemic, you've probably heard of or have come across the show The Mandalorian. Or if you've been shopping any time throughout this past Christmas period, I'm sure you've probably come across uh, all these green little baby Yodas in store and wondered, like, what's the deal with these things? Or all over the internet or on memes, there's these pictures of like this little baby Yoda. And while that it is true, baby Yoda really is that cute. (laughs) The show has a particular saying that seems to be resonating in the hearts of many people. The Mandalorians have a saying in in the show, which is, this is the way. And that refers to a way of life. That refers to how they operate. And I can't help but every time that I would hear that saying, that I was instantly drawn to the book of Acts, where followers of Jesus, before they were ever called Christians, um, they followed the way. I think that a reason why that saying resonates in the hearts of so many people is because it's circling around something deeper. It's knocking on a deeper reality. And and, and that deeper reality is simply this, that we know we're called to be different. We know we're called to follow a different way. Like in a a culture that's that's barely hanging to hold, hold itself together, We're called to be different. We're called to follow a different way of life, uh, the way of Jesus. And that's really what I want to touch on in in our time together. Like in this moment, what does a piece of the way of Christ look like? And I think Isaiah 42 and Matthew chapter 12 give us a window uh, really into a moment that can help us. Uh, So let's read together. We're going to read out of Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 15 uh, to 21. And it says this, Jesus, aware of this, he withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all. And he ordered them not to make him known. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And it says, behold, my servant whom I've chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud. He will, he, or nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. 
A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench until he brings justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. So it's interesting here that Matthew in in verses 18 through 21 is actually quoting directly back to a moment in Israel's history where the Jews to whom Isaiah was actually writing in that time were exiled to Babylon. Now the Babylonians often consulted their gods to both interpret events and to foretell the future. Fortune telling was a well-established kind of tradition. It was a preoccupation uh, in Mesopotamian type of culture. For example, one commentator writes this, that the Babylonians would cut open a sheep and the priests would come and interpret the significance of how its intestines were coiled, seeing it as a message from the gods, which had a direct correlation with the future and future events. So in Isaiah 41, which is directly connected with Isaiah 42, they're they're directly linked. They should be understood and read together. God asserts himself as the one true God who is moving forward history. And God actually picks a fight with this notion that where pagan gods claim to reveal truth and predict the future. If you have a chance, read through Isaiah 41, verses 23 through 24. God says this, tell us what is to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm that we may be dismayed and terrified. Behold, you are nothing and your work is less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. So God in Isaiah 41, he's claiming ownership for how history will actually be moved forward while also asserting that these idols or these quote unquote gods, they're worthless. When we come to Isaiah 42, in the, last, in the first couple of verses, God presents his servant as the only hope of the world. And he invites the whole human race to praise him for his salvation. You see, friends, this is really important for us to understand because in this moment of history that we find ourselves in, it isn't a mistake. God has placed you and I here in this moment now. To say it like this, we were born for this. We were born into this moment for a reason. To follow in the footsteps of the servant that we see in Isaiah chapter 42. The servant, as we're gonna to come to understand, is, is obviously Jesus. We know Jesus in Revelation twenty two thirteen. 13, it says this, that he is the first and the last. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. Let that bring confidence and assurance to your heart in this COVID season. God is the one who's ultimately guiding forward history. And as believers, we know the ending and we, we know the outcome. So with that in mind, what does the way of the servant look like? Well, I think if we pause and consider what it's saying in Isaiah 41, there's always an apparent need for the people of God to be on guard against idolatry and idols that can slowly make their way into our lives, whether we're aware of it or not. You see, idolatry is more than a pagan problem. It's a human problem. It's a modern problem. The Old Testament repeatedly warns the people of God. Think back to Exodus chapter 32 with the golden calf. Warns the people of God against idolatry. 
And we know that that actually, that same warning applies to us today. Think of the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 10, 14. It says this, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idols. Or 1 John 5 and 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now hear this, an idol is not always a bad thing in itself. It can be some good God-created thing, some gift of God that we actually use as a substitute for God. We know this based out of Romans in chapter one, verses 23 and in 25 as well. So an idol is anything that we substitute for God, anything that we absolutize as essential for our peace or for our self-image or our contentment or our self-control. Like if the pandemic has shown me anything, it's revealed idols that have laid hidden and dormant in my life without me really knowing about it. Like first, I've recognized that I've, I've grown so accustomed to a way of life that as a result of either certain comforts or certain conveniences being taken away, whether that's like our ability to gather as a church with a, which a large amount of people to be face-to-face with people, whether that's my affection and my desire to want to travel, whether that's even like a disruption and a pattern um, to a way of life, even for me to like to go to the gym and now have to wear a mask, Like I've noticed at times, often I can become frustrated. I can become angry. And at times that anger can either be directed at people or or at a system that I feel is opposing a way of life that's actually built on my comfort. Yet when I slow down and I allow the spirit to search me and convict me, he's shown me then, like Matt, like that's misplaced hope. That's misplaced hope. Trust. You're looking to fill your life with something that's not ultimate. You know, as Steph and I are in the midst of a season where we're soon becoming parents, I've already seen throughout this pandemic that, man, it's revealed like how selfish I am. How often I think of myself before I think of others. You know, I know that as I become a father, like the Lord's going to continue to do a deep work in my life. He's going to continue to soften off hard edges, reveal unhealthy patterns in my life. And part of following in the way of the servant is to be ones who look to God as our ultimate source. Ones who look to God for how we should make decisions, how we should be speaking of others, how we should live and orientate our lives and be at peace, knowing that God is the one who's guiding forward history. It's not on our efforts. And we have been placed in this moment to follow his way. You know, as we consider the way of Jesus, as we look at Matthew chapter 12, it's interesting that the context around verses 18 through to 21, which are the verses quoted directly from Isaiah 42, is the Pharisees questioning Jesus regarding keeping the Sabbath. In particular, they say, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And Jesus, in earlier verses, he, he enters into the synagogue and he, he heals this man with a withered hand without even laying a hand on him. You see, the, the Pharisees wanted to gain righteousness and, and, and justification through the means of upholding observance to something they've grown so accustomed to and desired instead of doing what's right. 
And man, like I just, I often wonder in my own life, man, like does my heart resemble the heart of the Pharisee? Where I grow so accustomed to a way of life or to a system that brings comfort or convenience instead of actually following in the way of Jesus. Like I've, I've heard it from many men who I respect in my life that you cannot legislate morality. It won't fix or solve the problem. There are times where legislation can restrain darkness and we should be advantageous for those things and we should endeavor to be influencers in gentle strength and in humble leading, but ultimately it is not the answer. The law can only show you that something is wrong. It can't fix the problem. Pastor Switzer would often use this analogy and it'd be, it's always been helpful for my understanding, but he says this, the law is like a level. It can only show you that something isn't right, but you don't use a level to fix the problem. So what is the servant way of Jesus? As we, as we consider the text and look at verse 18, the way of the servant is a spirit-led way of life. The servant, Jesus, in Isaiah 42, is the one God chose. He put his spirit on him. As you remember back in Matthew chapter three, uh, Jesus' baptism, the spirit descends upon Jesus after he comes up out of the water and a voice from heaven says this, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And as we know throughout the entirety of the gospels, Jesus is the one who is led of the spirit. Pastor Jory talked about this last week in, in, in Matthew 4, Jesus being led into the wilderness by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. It was the spirit of God who was leading Jesus to do the will of the father. And the same spirit who was with and upon Jesus is the same spirit that now resides in us for those who surrender to Jesus and follow him. You remember back to John's gospel? Jesus commands his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise. And in the beginning of Acts, we see the disciples with Jesus before he descends into heaven saying, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus says to him, says to them in Acts chapter one, seven through eight, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea to the ends of the earth. You see, the disciples, they thought Jesus would come and restore an earthly envisioned kingdom in that moment. That it would look a certain way to their understanding. And I wonder how many for us in this time that we have a similar picture as we're faced in this kind of pandemic reality, that we're looking for something to be restored that makes sense to us. And Jesus says this to them, I'm making you my, you're my witnesses and you're gonna receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to witness about me, to witness to me, to the ends of the earth. So friends, listen, in this moment, the way of Jesus is to be a people who are actually witnessing about him, that follow in his footsteps, led of the spirit. We are to be a spirit-led people 
The Spirit's leading is, is never in contradiction to the Word of God. They go hand in hand. It's interesting that it goes on to say in verse 20 in Matthew chapter 12, that a bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not quench. Have you ever stopped and considered what a bruised reed looks like? It's often bent, bent over, something that's damaged or hurt or withering. Like I think we can often associate ourselves with this picture, right? Like each one of us have experienced what it's like to been bruised or hurt or damaged to one degree or another. Most often this can be a direct result of sin, perhaps at times it can come through unexpected circumstances or relational conflict, um, which has come about through our lives. As bruised reeds, our focus can often be turned inward, where all we can see is the world beneath us. You know, I think in this current season, we have to be so aware of what we're putting into our system, what we're putting into our lives. Like with this analogy of a bruised reed being bent over, what is the main source of input that I'm putting into my life? Like is the main source of input coming through my phone? Is the main source of input all that I can see in me or around me? Whether that's coming through social media type of platforms that really don't contribute to anything helpful or honest or spiritually healthy development. Jesus comes as the servant and he says this, a bruised reed I will not break. You know, some folks I, I know were aware of this as a pastoral team and with different members of the church, like some folks have really experienced some serious hurt and pain and, and lots of loss uh, in this season, which has been both real and challenging to sort through. Jesus says in Matthew 12, directly quoted from Isaiah 42, he says, a bruised reed I will not break. I want to draw you to Luke in Luke 13, just as a direct example of this, that the servant way of Jesus is to come and to restore one who's, who's been bent over and make them straight. In Luke 13, starting in verse 10, it says this, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath and behold, there was a woman who had been disabled, who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called over to her and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid hands on her and immediately she was straight and she glorified God. Friends, Christ hasn't come to break you. He won't break you beyond a point you can't be repaired. If you are broken, know this, he has come to make you straight. And we are a people who are called to follow in the way of Jesus. We are to look for bruised reeds in this moment. We are to look for people who are broken and bent over and we're called to partner with the spirit to help 
make them straight. We're called to lay hands on those folks and make them straight. We're called in the same way that Jesus in the synagogue with the man with the withered hand called out to him and proclaim the servant, the one who came to heal and make them straight. We're called to follow in that way. In Matthew 12, it goes on to say that a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. How often in our lives do we find ourselves in a place where it seems like the fire or the passion's gone out? You know, where maybe we've let, our, let ourselves settle into a type of routine or complacency or the same old, same old. Maybe once there was a zealous kind of pursuit of the Lord and, and now God's outpouring feels absent. I'm so grateful like that the scriptures just have so many stories. John chapter four, the Samaritan woman at the well, broken, bruised in many ways. Her whole life in essence re resembled this, this sense of being a smoldering wick. The woman caught in adultery in that type of sense. And I'm so thankful for the disciple Peter. Like I feel like my life most connects with him as, as, I, as I read about him. Like so many great stories in the scriptures that we see of his faithfulness to Jesus, his fumblings, moments when he affirms and, and, and shares who Christ is and then denies Christ. <laughs> there's, a, there, there's that moment in John 20 where Jesus comes to the shoreline and restores Peter. Peter, after Christ is crucified and resurrected and Peter doesn't know, he's, he goes back to becoming a fisherman in John 20 and Jesus comes and restores him. We find that as Peter writes his epistles, at the end of his life, he's come to this knowledge of understanding the faithfulness of the Lord and the love of God. Friends, Jesus hasn't come to quench or to snuff out your life. He's come to let the flame burn brighter and hotter for his glory. What does it mean to follow in the way of Jesus to that end? Are we a people, are we a type of people who bring kindling and bring wood in a sense to surround peoples whose flame has gone out and breathe life into them? Who spur one another on to let the passion for Christ burn with intensity? Let's follow in the same footsteps of Jesus where it says a bruised reed he did not break, a smoldering wick he did not snuff out. Let's be a people who ignite that flame in one another. Let's as a church ask the Holy Spirit, God, do this in our hearts for your sake. And lastly, it says in verse 20, until he brings justice to victory. Friends, this is great news. Let me remind you, God is the one who is moving forward history. The way of God bringing justice to victory isn't through methods that seem normal or natural or convenient to us. Justice to victory comes through the sacrifice of his servant. Justice to victory comes through the sacrifice of his son. Jesus, for our sin, all our sin, past, present, and future, the greatest thing that we can do as followers of the way is to live a crucified life. First and ultimately to God, second towards one another.
and trust him knowing that he will bring about what he intends to in his time. It means this, we don't make a big deal of ourselves. That's not the way of the servant. You read that in Isaiah 42 and in Matthew 12, that, that he didn't cry aloud. He didn't make a big deal of himself. It means we don't make a big deal of our wants or our needs. We make a big deal about him. We make a big deal about wanting to live a life that pleases him. That's the way. That's the way of the servant. That we trust him, that he is the one who is bringing about things as he intends to, and we can trust him for it. Friends, I don't know where you're at today, but I wouldn't be shocked if some of you can relate with that verse. Maybe you're feeling like a bruised reed, broken and bent over. Maybe you feel like a smoldering wick. It's just kind of dwindling there. Maybe you're wondering like, God, what are you doing in this moment? Can I just remind you and affirm you that the servant has come, Jesus has come to make what was broken and bent to make it straight. What seemingly looks like we're passionate to go out to relight that flame and to let it burn again. Where he will be the one who will lead forward justice to victory through a sacrificial life. Let me just pray with you. Yeah, Lord, I, I ask in this moment, I ask that you'd catch our hearts and our spirits up with our heads. I pray specifically, Lord, if there's anyone, God, in this moment who feels like a bruised reed, I just speak to that in Jesus' name and I ask for the same healing, God, that we see from both Luke uh, 13 and in Matthew chapter 12, God. Lord, by your blood, I just speak to those who feel broken and bent over. And I say in Jesus' name, may healing just flow into their body. I ask where anyone who's even been, uh, who's had a long-standing condition, if anyone's had a long-standing medical condition or, or an ailment that's been plaguing them for years, I ask in this moment, Jesus, through your blood, that you would come and touch them for your glory, that you would come and make them straight. Father, I pray for anyone who, who feels like they're a smoldering wick, and where there's no passion, Lord, and where there's, where there's seemingly no sight of a flame. Holy Spirit, I ask in Jesus' name, would you come and blow on our hearts? Would you come and blow on the very wick that feels like it's dwindling and let it reignite? God, I pray you would remind us as the people of God to be aware of people that we can come in a sense shore up, where we can come and blow wind into their sails and life onto them. And Father, I pray for those who are struggling in this moment to really trust that you're gonna see this moment through. I thank you, Father, that you are the one where it says, God, in justice, you'll lead us to victory. And that justice came through your shed blood. And so, Lord, I thank you, God, that all of our sin, God, that you've atoned for it, that you've forgiven it, and I pray for specifically for anyone, Lord, who doesn't know you. 
God, Holy Spirit, I just ask that you just open their hearts. If you've never given your heart to Jesus, I just, you can just simply pray this prayer. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. Lord, I know I've done wrong. God, I ask you to forgive my sin. I ask you just to cleanse me. Lord, I just wanna surrender my life to you, to your Lordship, and I wanna follow in your ways. Come and make your home in my heart. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, friends, if um, you, you've made a decision to, to give your heart to Jesus, feel free to reach out to one of us. You can call into the church. Uh, you can send me an email. You can send one of us pastors an email. We'd love to be in touch with you. I wanna encourage you, if you've done that today, reach out to someone uh, who is a Christian and tell them. And uh, we just love you. Thanks for connecting with us today. And we just hope you have a wonderful week. Blessings.